0: My name is Ali, I'm a doctor
1: and YouTuber, I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer, and you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity and the human condition.
0: Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing on this fine day?
1: I'm doing pretty well. It's been a nice week. I was in London for half the week, now I'm back in St. Albans. I had one social session this week, I had a friend over, uh, a new friend that I made. I made this friend in like February or something. Uh, he came over as part of a group to our place for dinner and then the whole lockdown thing happened and we didn't get a chance to, to really hang out again. Um, but you know, we stayed in touch and now that things are starting to ease up, we, we hung out and it was great. And he's actually, he's actually a podcast listener. He's a big fan of the podcast. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you can tell me how the session really went down afterwards. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, it was good. It was good. It's always nice to like meet someone in a group setting, and then you sort of take it to the next level so outside it, of it. it. Who was
0: it who took it to the next level? Who initiated the "I would like to be your friend"? I think it was. And don't say it was mutual. It's never mutual. No, no. I think
1: it was actually him in this case. Really? But the, the feeling, the feeling was definitely mutual. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: The, the, that's a party line, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The feeling was definitely mutual. Uh, I'm glad he. I'm glad you took the first step. Uh, I think it was a Twitter DM, and then that graduated into. WhatsApp, which graduated into us playing Call of Duty together <laughs> and then oh. <laughs> uh, actually hanging out. Yeah, it's good. That's exciting. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. How's your week been?
0: Um, it's been pretty pleasant, actually. Um, I've mostly been on evening shifts, which are quite nice. But it seems like patients have forgotten about lockdown and about COVID. So they're coming into the hospital in the same droves that they were pre, pre-COVID, pre-lockdown. Nightmare. So we had this kind of like glorious period of like two months where basically no one was coming into hospital. And now it's back to normal. Which is fine. It just means <laughs> that I have stuff to actually do at work rather than sit on my iPad. Yeah. So that's me. Uh, I I was also on a date this morning. Oh yeah. How did that go? So that was quite fun. Yeah. Um, it was it was kind of good vibes. I think we were hanging out for about two and a half hours from like oh. ten a.m. until half half past midday. Yeah um and then towards the end i was like all right cool we're done now let's go home. <laughs> is that really how you <laughs>
1: um
0: no but i kind of made motions to that, oh, that okay, yeah that, that effect <laughs> man would you look at the time yeah <laughs> oh gosh you know we've got to be i told Mum, i'd be home in half an hour <laughs> yeah uh, no, but no, two, two and a good.
1: half hours is solid. I, th- I, I think anything over two is like is decent.
0: Yeah, I think if it had just been us sitting in in the same place and just chatting, it wouldn't have been as as legit. But like we started off on like a park bench, you know, a solid one meter apart. Mm. Then kind of roamed around town a bit, got a coffee, then roamed around, sat still, on another park bench, still one meter apart, still one meter apart, like okay. <laughs> all, all, always always between one and two meters. That's legit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like we went to Costa and they said that you know y- you're not allowed to have two people in in at once. Okay. So you know I asked her what you
1: wanted. I did the ordering. Nice. You know, we, got the coffee he's got you, the hot chocolate you paid? I paid okay for the coffee was there was there like a was there a discussion about that or was it just like so minor that it wasn't even it was discussion it really? was
0: so minor on the coffee thing but then when we had sort of lunch afterwards she oh, yeah. was like oh no we, you know I'll get this one and I was like no no, no I'm paying and she was like oh, oh come on you know we should at least split it I was like no you're in my ends therefore you're the guest here therefore I'm paying okay
1: yeah
0: and I've, I've got this kind of general rule that I learned from my pal Derek Sivers which is that the person who travels the least has to pay yeah, yeah and so I kind of use that rule whenever yeah, <laughs> whenever that means I'm the one who's going to be paying, <laughs>
1: nice. and I don't mention it otherwise. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so it was good. Yeah, yeah. I think the the ch- the change of I think yeah I've mentioned this before. I think the the change of scenery kind of helps the vibe mm. i think it's good to have like two or three locations that's very uh neil straussian <laughs> <thingy>. <laughs> is it yeah <laughs> that was what he espoused in
0: the game i think oh really when, uh, when talking about how to how to game girls yeah. the objective is to sort of take them to as many different locations as possible so that in their minds the and i suppose in your mind as well it feels like there were more activities to be had. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, It feels like the experience was like more of a thing, whereas if it's just a dinner, that's like one unit of memory. If it's a dinner and a walk and a this and a that, that's four units of memories from a single date. So,
1: you know, you save time that way. Nice. (laughs) No, I think even outside the units thing, I think the change of vibe also kind of gives you the chance to, yeah, you know, change the conversation, you know, have have a different vibe, basically. One thing I was actually thinking a lot is about the concept of eye contact. Oh, yeah. Now, this is something... this is
0: something that I've, I've never really paid conscious attention to, Yeah, but everything that I've read on the internet about eye contact says that if you don't pay con- conscious attention to it and actively work on it as a skill, then you'll end up not making as much eye contact as you should. Right. And so I kind of set an intention for myself at the start of the day. I was like, okay, I'm going to actually pay attention to this eye contact thing. And it just completely went out of, it, <laughs> of, of my head for like most of the two and a half hours. And then, very occasionally... I would, I would I would kind of think oh I can't be like, and then and then I think about the last ten minutes I'd be like I can't remember the last time I kind of looked looked at her yeah because so I feel like normally when I'm speaking I tend especially if it's something that is sort of where I'm thinking as I'm going along I yeah. would look away from the person who I'm talking to yeah to try and you look up of, up into the right yeah, up into, yeah. exactly or up to the left right if I'm lying <laughs> classic um, so I've, I, I, I was often looking like up to the left
1: <laughs> are you okay. <laughs>
0: And then I was thinking, oh, hang on, now I should be making more eye contact. But and, and and then when I got home, I started Googling kind of how much eye contact is normal. <laughs> and I found like a Wikihow article about this. And I found nice. some post on like some Pickup Artist forum about, you know, how as the speaker, you should be making 75% eye contact. Yeah, and as yeah. the listener, you should be making 85% con- eye contact. Right. And no one actually does this. <laughs> so now I'm thinking that in my subsequent social interactions, I want to, Pay more attention to the eye contact issue I see <laughs> yeah.
1: very good. I'm glad you made some notes <laughs> the the other,
0: the, other, uh, the other note that I, I took was the speaking slowly note because the traditional sort of dating advice is well tr- traditional social skills advice is that you want to speak slowly rather than fast. yeah I very much have a tendency to speak fast because I don't know like for various reasons, I think speaking fast means my stutter is less of a thing because I kind of get into the flow of it. Right. I think speaking fast. Probably there's some element of I'm worried that what I have to say isn't valuable enough, and therefore I speak yeah. fast. All of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's it's also been something that I've been actively wanting to improve at, and just it just always completely goes out of my mind. So I I need to find some sort of trigger that when I'm talking to someone, it reminds me about the eye contact and about the speaking slowly thing. Yeah, I think
1: for the spe- I think the speaking slowly. I mean, even outside of just communicating more clearly. I think it's really good for sort of setting the tone. And I think in the first few minutes of an interaction, the way you talk kind of sets the tone. Uh, And so, you know, every week I have a a bunch of like video calls with with strangers for like work stuff. And generally, you know, so I chatted to a few kind of people this week who are interested in investing in causal. And generally in, in investor conversations, I find that the investor is usually kind of high energy and high octane. And, you know, they, you're like, hey, yeah. man, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially uh, you, people in the US. And so that sets a tone for the conversation. And so then, like, you, you, you both have to, like, be at that level for the whole <laughs> thing. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we're crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> We've got revenue as of last week. <laughs> yeah. So that you have to, like, keep the tone there. But, like, one, one of the people I chatted to last week, he was just, like, super chill <laughs> he was just i think it was like 7 a.m for him uh, where he was um so it, it was quite early but he was also just like oh hey man like how's it going what are you what are you up to <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> <You're> like whoa <laughs> what's going on and, here? That, and that was really nice because it just kind of set the tone we just had like a really chill chat for like almost an hour or something whereas usually those things are like high octane like yeah man love it you know <laughs> 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 and so I think like, you know, on the speaking fast thing, like if at the start of the date, you know, you're like, you know, boom, how's it going, man? Like so good to you. Yeah. <laughs> really glad we're doing this kind of thing. <laughs> it's going to set the tone. Whereas if it's like, you know, if you're just like speaking slowly, like really calm, really chill, it sets more of a calm vibe. And that's quite nice for everyone. Nice.
0: I'll keep, I will keep that in mind for my future encounters.
1: Yeah. So, right. Yes. Um, shall we move on to what we're actually talking about today? Yes. We're talking about our sponsor for this episode. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about our sponsor for the episode? <gasps> is it brilliant? It is brilliant. Oh, nice. So brilliant, uh, brilliant.org, is that right? Uh, we, we, we call it brilliant, but the website is brilliant.org, but oh, we refer okay. to it as brilliant. Okay. So brilliant is probably the best way to teach yourself anything mathsy online. So maths, computer science, physics, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not like school style maths. I've said this before. It really is quite good. It, it sort of tries to develop the intuition uh, which sort of leads to real understanding of the concepts. So they have like interactive explanations and really visual stuff. Uh, and so, if you if you're someone who kind of never got maths or whatever, or like you, it didn't really resonate with you in school, I think that's mostly because schools teach maths in a very uh, in a very mechanical way, and they don't really focus on developing intuition. Brilliant is all about that. And so, I think yeah, I think everyone should check it out and try and sort of learn maths the right way. Uh, it really opens your mind, I think. And if you sign up at brilliant.org slash not overthinking, then the first 200 people get 20% off an annual subscription. Yes.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you've done this before. Um, And the other good thing about Brilliant is their computer science courses. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't done many of their maths ones because... Well, I'm not that much into maths, but I am very big into computer science. And so they have a fantastic introduction to computer science, uh, which teaches you you about the fundamentals of CS, the fundamentals of algorithms and how they work. They also have a very good series on Python, uh, which I've kind of dabbled in trying to teach myself Python to get better at like coding and stuff in general. So yeah, check it out. Brilliant.org slash not overthinking. Nice. So today I thought we'd talk about a book. This book is called The Elephant in the Brain. Have you, have you come across it before? I have come across it before.
1: What's your understanding of the book? My understanding of the book is that... Okay, so... And I know it's by Robin Hanson. And I know this guy's whole shtick is that every, everything we do is actually signaling. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing the book is about that. <laughs> That's basically what the book, yeah. You, okay. But you, you, you have summed it up 100%. <laughs> All right, thanks thanks for listening to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure to visit
0: brilliant.org, slash
1: not overthinking. Right, yeah. No, I haven't read the book. I'm, I'm familiar with the guy, I'm familiar with his work, but I haven't actually read the book. Okay, awesome. So... Hmm. essentially the book is in two parts part one is called why we hide our
0: motives and part two is called hidden motives in everyday life and yeah as you said his whole shtick is that his whole spiel as it were um is that pretty much everything that we do we are doing for non uh non-official reasons
1: ulterior reasons
0: yeah uh, he calls them counterfeit reasons further on in the book or and uh, sort of refers to it as reasons versus motives reasons being uh, the reasons that we would say out loud for why we're doing something and motives being the hidden agenda, sort of the, the, the real reason. Nice. There's, the, there's a nice quote here that as soon as I, I saw it, I was like, oh. It's a quote uh, often attributed to J.P. Morgan, although it's unclear as to whether it was actually said by him initially. A man always has two reasons for doing anything, a good reason and the real reason. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so JP. I thought, <laughs> good old J.P., yeah, he's doing well. Uh, what, is real, what, what does J.P. stand for? It's like, it's like something random. Is it? it? It took me ages to clock that. That look on, let me up. find it. JP Morgan, John Pierpont Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't blame you for showing that that's JP. <laughs> You're right, JP. Yeah, like uh, if 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 he's in one of those investor meetings, he can't be, like, <laughs> be uh-huh. like, "Yo, what up?" It's JP. Rather than, it's Jean Pierpont. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Hello, my name is Jean Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Bonjour, comment ça? Anyway, that's a bit racist. <laughs> um, anyway, so part one is why we hide our motives. So I thought we'd go over part one in this episode. Partly because I haven't uh, actually written any notes on part two. Okay. So I'm trying to do this thing where every time I read a book, I would kind of write notes on it. And yeah. uh, there's a, a good book called How to Take Smart Notes by Sonki Ahrens, which we can talk about at some other point, mm. which sort of gave me this methodology for taking notes from books. But I've just managed to do it for part one so far. So um, essentially, there is his his spiel. I think that there's actually two authors, but their spiel is sort of in six parts. Oh, my God. Here we go. So I will.
1: This is, this is the six parts of part one.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, In fact, let me go through the introduction and I'll pick out some highlights from here. So here's the thesis we'll be exploring in this book. We human beings are a species that's not only capable of acting on hidden motives, we're designed to do it. Our brains are built to act in our self-interest while at the same time trying hard not to appear selfish in front of other people. And in order to throw them off the trail, our brains often keep us, our conscious minds, in the dark. The less we know of our own ugly motives, the easier it is to hide them from others. Self-deception is therefore strategic, a ploy our brains used to look good while behaving badly. Understandably, few people are eager to confess to this kind of duplicity, but as long as we continue to tiptoe around it, we'll be unable to think clearly about human behavior, we'll be forced to distort or deny any explanation that harks back to our hidden motives, key facts will remain taboo, and we'll be forever mystified by our own thoughts and actions. It's only by confronting the elephant, then, that we can begin to see what's really going on. And the metaphor that they're using is that the sort of sort of like the elephant in the room, it's like this thing that's there that no one talks about, right. The elephant in the brain is like this thing that's there, i.e. our hidden motives for doing things that we never talk about with other people, but crucially that we also deceive ourselves into thinking that it's not, it's right. not there. And so, for example, there's this, um, uh, there's a, a, a good diagram here that shows sort of a, a picture of the brain and it's got like pretty motives and ugly motives. So pretty motives are things like altruism, truth loyalty, beauty, tradition, safety, cooperation, community, and progress, and ugly motives are competition, deception, social status, selfishness, sex, and politics. Controversial. Um, Another nice highlight here. The human brain, according to this view, was designed to deceive itself, the better to 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 deceive others. And so they kind of build up a basic argument from the ground up Kind of following this sort of six part framework, kind of A leads to B leads to C and, and so on, until we ultimately arrive at this conclusion that we all have these selfish hidden motives for a lot of the things that we do and that we're not even aware of the things that we're doing.
1: Okay, when he says statements like the human brain is designed for this, is that like a truth claim? Is is this like a is he making like a scientific claim of like the human brain is designed for this, or is this like is this more of a, a model or framework that helps us think about stuff?
0: So like, so this counts. I, it's it's under the category of science, i.e. it's purporting to make claims about the truth of things okay. by sort of positing theories that explain experimental evidence okay. and that explain historical data. Okay, cool. And so provided the data fits with the theory, that means the theory is reasonably legit. Right. Um, but it's not a truth claim in the sense that, for example, a common sort of idea in moral psychology is that the brain is made up of different uh, cognitive uh, like modules okay whereas one one sort of module would be kind of the module that makes us uh you know uh, that helps our visual system see the edges of things right yeah or the module that recognizes snakes as right. a very low level thing but high level there's a module that um ensures that we are projecting a good image to the outside world there is a module that makes us care for others that is you know cl- probably not exactly how the brain works yeah. but it's close enough to and it, and it kind of explains a lot of the experimental data okay cool um, and then sort of in the second part of the book, they go on to talk about specific examples. So here's a highlight that I've got. Education isn't just about learning. It's largely actually about, about getting graded, ranked and credentialed, stamped for the approval of employers. Religion isn't just about private belief in God or the afterlife, but about conspicuous public professions of belief that help bind groups together. In each of these areas, our hidden agendas explain a surprising amount of our behavior, often a majority. When push comes to shove, we often make choices that prioritize our hidden agendas over the official ones. Hmm. and so they've got this four point thesis in plain English which is interesting so number one people are judging us all the time they want to know whether we'll make good friends allies lovers or leaders and one of the most important things they're judging are uh, and one of the important things they're judging is our motives why do we behave the way that we do do we have others best interests at heart or are we entirely selfish point number two because others are judging us we're eager to look good so we emphasize our pretty motives and downplay our ugly ones it's not lying exactly but neither is it perfectly honest Number three, this applies not just to our words, but also to our thoughts, which might seem odd. Why can't we just be honest with ourselves? The answer is that our thoughts aren't as private as we imagine. In many ways, conscious thought is a rehearsal of what, we're, or of what we're ready to say to others. And finally, number four, in some areas of life, especially polarized ones like politics and religion, we're quick to point out when others' motives are more selfish than they claim. But in other areas, like medicine, we prefer to believe that almost all of us have pretty motives. In such cases, we can all be quite wrong together about what drives our behavior. Um the other kind of point they make in the introduction is that these sorts of ideas are not are not inherently viral like you won't see a what's it like upworthy upworthy article about how actually, we're all sort of relying on hidden motives and we're all selfish creatures at heart. You, The the sorts of ideas that, that are viral that tend to propagate around societies are the ideas around altruism and cooperation and, oh, you know, isn't this a nice thing that I want to share with my friends because it shows how I want my brain to actually work. Right. Rather than the idea that says, actually, to be honest, the only reason we're doing this podcast is because we're selfish and want so social status and prestige in one form or another. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, that's not an idea that would particularly gain much <laughs> traction if we say it out loud.
1: Yeah. Is he trying to say that, every action has a real motive and the real motive is always from that list of things. He's saying that the reasons for things are multifactorial. Okay. Yeah.
0: And a, often a significant minority, if not majority of the reason for doing something is the hidden motive, right. the one that we would we, we would never say out loud. Yeah. So kind of the first chapter is called animal behavior. And he sort of talks about different sort of species of chimpanzee and like sort of different birds. There's a particularly interesting one um, where, which is all about like competitive altruism, where you see in certain, in certain species of animals you see them sort of actively compete to try and show who is the most altruistic in the yeah. in the group that sounds like Twitter okay so yeah in part one he talks about kind of various exa- examples of this and then part number two is called competition so uh, basically their theory is that we as humans have clearly evolved brains for a reason um, and there's two sort of popular explanations as to why we've evolved such kind of big and useful brains. Uh, there's the nice explanation, which is that we've adapted to band together as a community to face various ecological challenges, to build cool stuff, to cooperate. And then there's the not nice explanation that the reason our brains are so ridiculously developed compared to our, kind of our closer, closest ancestors is that we have had to better compete for mates or jockey for social status, form alliances and betrayals, cheating and deception. Like all of these, there's like the ecological reason as to why our brains have developed. And then there is the social reason as to why our brains have developed. Okay. And I thought, so have you, have you come across the uh, the parable of the redwoods? No, I haven't. The, this is quite interesting. Um, so uh, redwood trees are apparently like stupidly tall. Um, and the reason they're all stupidly tall is because they have to compete for sunlight. You know, we, this is why all plants kind of grow grow up towards the sun to compete for sunlight. Yes. But in forests of redwood trees, like redwood trees are like stupidly tall yeah. because everyone else around them is also a redwood tree and is stupidly tall. Yeah. And so it would, so w- w- what like, it, it would be nice in an ideal world for all the redwood trees to be like guys why are we wasting all this energy kind of going all the way up even though we're miles above everyone else yeah what's <laughs> the point we should actually spend that energy on kind of growing wider and spreading our seeds more yeah but as soon as one redwood tree decides actually yeah you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> going go to go the the suddenly they're gonna outcompete uh, everyone else yeah and so it becomes a sort of arms race as to who can get higher and higher yeah and so you get this this weird thing where the redwoods are so much higher than everyone else and all the other plants are sort of like you know at knee level yeah just because they're all like competing against one another um and yeah, so thus the Redwood is locked in an evolutionary arms race, or in this case, a height race with itself. It grows tall because other Redwoods are tall. And if it doesn't throw most of its effort into growing upward as fast as possible, it will literally wither and die in the shadow of its rivals. And obviously, you know, there's the <laughs> um, uh, the similar analogy to kind of humans and how we all kind of jockey for such a oh, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, you know, this
1: this is one of your sh- spiels, isn't it, about how we're all competing in these zero-sum games? Yeah, mate. It's I mean... <laughs> It's not really my spiel. I mean, lots of people, it goes by the rat race and you know, other terms. But yeah, it's all basically this, right? If we all just had a pact of like, hey, all right, <laughs> all right, let's just all work. Let's all make a, pl- a pact that we're not going to get more than 80% in this exam. <laughs> Dude, I've tried that. I used to do that all the time. <laughs> like, guys,
0: no one's going to go past question 24 out of 30.
1: <laughs> yeah, God, we're not allowed to revise for this one. <laughs> You're like, all right, good luck with that. <laughs> Those stupid snakes always do it. <laughs> No, but like, yeah, I have often thought that like, man, if we could all just agree to chill out and just, (laughs) you know, whatever, then I think we'd all be be happy Then there'll be one guy who wants to, (laughs) I don't know, do some more work and get some more money. (laughs)
0: Anyway, so this this kind of chapter about competition concludes with this idea of the Machiavellian intelligence hypothesis or the social brain hypothesis, um, which is basically kind of talking about how actually the evidence possibly suggests that the main reason as to why we developed all these like higher cognitive abilities is so that we can compete better with other people and kind of deceive them and sort of be- form alliances and betrayals and all this sort of stuff. Right.
1: So, it's, look, so far, so far this hasn't been that groundbreaking, man. Like you could pretty much sum this up in about a minute or something. Where, where does like, so once you know this, what's what kind of useful, interesting stuff comes out of no, yeah, knowing this? I remember when you started reading it about a week ago, you were like, yeah. oh, my God, man, this is like groundbreaking stuff. I just started reading this new book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes.
0: So I think given that this is a sort of social science book, it needs to present the argument from the ground
1: up. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so it's presenting the argument from the ground yeah, up yeah, and, and that, actually, actually using evidence rather than saying that, you know, guys, the reason we evolved is because we were all cheaters and liars.
1: I'm not having a go at the book. Yeah. I'm just saying that for the purposes of this, of this episode, like. Right, I think we we've got the ground up. So, like, what what comes next?
0: Uh, well, there's four more bits of it that okay. we are that we, that we're coming to. If you just give me, all right, give me a bit of time. <laughs> okay, and then kind of the final bit about the chapter about competition talks about how when it comes to humans, there are kind of three that are the, 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 there are three important games that were played by our ancestors, and that is sex, social status, and politics. Okay, and so on the sex one, it's like, well, you know, how do you how do you signal your qualities to people of the opposite sex, but do it in a way that you don't come across as looking like a twat. Yeah. (laughs) Because people who kind of go too far out of line and sort of brag too much then get sort of pulled down by the rest of the social group. And kind of back in the day, what they're saying, which I thought was an interesting idea that hadn't come across before, was that the invention of weapons kind of really accelerated our kind of brain development in terms of all of the, um, social Machiavellian sort of betrayal alliances things that we've had to do. Well, because we can just kill each other so much faster. No, so specifically because it's no longer the alpha male who can beat oh. you, other people in a fist fight. Yeah, yeah. If you get three beta males that gang up with spears, yeah. they're going to wreck the alpha male. <laughs> and therefore, this puts an enormous selective pressure on the alpha male to not be overly dominant. Yeah. Alpha male still obviously wants to advertise his alphaness and his six pack to everyone else. Yeah. But he has to do it under the guise of, for example, hey guys, check out my ab workout video. Yeah. Rather, <laughs> rather than the guise of, hey, check out my six pack.
1: <laughs> i love it we're <laughs> speaking from personal experience there about <laughs> hey check out this video
0: <laughs> well uh, perhaps once i have a six-pack <laughs> basically as soon as, as soon as i have a six-pack I'm, I'm gonna start making workout videos obviously <laughs> it's, it's just what you have to do <laughs> Um, And actually, so they argue that there's good reasons to believe that um, basically all of the stuff that we do is just an elaborate, elaborate mating display. So, you know, our capacities for visual art, music, storytelling and humor function in large part as elaborate mating displays, not unlike the peacock's tail. And so like all of these are uh, can be viewed as sort of competitive aspects of courtship trying to signal our value as mates. But in a way that is not as blatant as guys, check out my six pack. Yeah, yeah. So sex was number one. Uh, social status is number two. And social status is, 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 a, is a, a, another very interesting one. And I think we did an episode talking about uh, that blog post, Status as a Service, about how, how ultimately we're all status-seeking monkeys and we're trying to do whatever we can to most increase our social status. Um, and what they do here is that they kind of split up social, st- st- social status into two flavors. There is dominance and prestige um dominance is the kind of status we get from being able to intimidate other people so think like stalin was a particularly dominant kind of individual okay because <laughs> he could intimidate a lot of people but prestige is what is the kind of status we get from being impressive as a human specimen okay. and they're saying think someone like meryl streep right you know you wouldn't say dominant but you say very kind of prestigious based on her acting prowess i think she's an actor is that
1: right actress yeah right.
0: So he talks about how dominance is clearly clearly the result of competition and it can be vicious and destructive and bad. And it seems like prestige, you know, seems less competitive, at least on the surface. It's all about respect, which can't be taken by force, but rather must be freely conferred by admirers. Nevertheless, there's only so much respect to go around. In this regard, prestige is like a popularity contest, similar to the kind found in high schools around the world, although perhaps not quite as vapid. We earn prestige not just by being rich, beautiful and good at sports, but also by being funny, artistic, smart, well-spoken, charming and kind. These are all relative qualities, however. Compared to most other animals, every human is a certifiable genius, but that fact does little to help us in competitions within our own species. Similarly, even the poorest members of today's world are richer by many material standards than the kings and queens of yesteryear, and yet they remain at the bottom of the prestige ladder. Um, And then they're going to say that another way to think about prestige is that it's your price on the market for friendship and association, just as how sexually attractive you are is your price, in inverted commas, on the mating market. Right. That's like mating market... Basically, purely based on sexual attractiveness, kind of good genes and all of that stuff by this yeah. evolutionary theory. Prestige is more like, you know, how willing are people want to, going to want to be to be your friend yeah. and to kind of associate, it with, associate it with you as a team player? Um, if you are a very prestigious individual, then you have high demands on your time. Lots of people want to be your friend because they perceive that you will kind of give more things to them or whatever. Um, less prestigious individuals, meanwhile, have fewer claims on their time and attention and must therefore offer their friendship at a discount. And everyone, with an eye to raising their price, strives to make themselves more attractive as a friend or associate by learning new skills, acquiring more and better tools, and by polishing their charms. And uh, there's a, a top highlight here. So now our competitions for prestige often produce positive side effects, such as art, science, and technological in- innovation. But the prestige-seeking itself is more nearly a, n- a zero-sum game, which, ex- which, helps, <coughs> which helps explain why we sometimes feel pangs of envy at even a close friend's success. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I thought the prestige stuff was interesting because, like, as, as I was kind of listening to this on, on, on Audible, I was thinking, oh, my God, like, uh, as in the official reason that I like to give for a lot of things that, that I do is sort of things like, hey, this is fun and it helps <laughs> people and all that stuff. Yeah. But actually, so much of, a, of why I do anything is to, just as a, as a competition for prestige. Really? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> and I feel like most, <coughs> I feel like surely
1: most people are like this. Like, if Bush if, if really came to shove. Hmm. Let me have a think. I mean, yes, obviously I think that's the case. Uh, and like, yeah, the whole education system is just designed to make you, to pit you against one another and competing for, for prestige. And so I think like the whole prestige pissing contest is sort of beaten into you for the first 20 years of your life uh, or something like that. But, But, I don't know, I think sort of if if we go
0: by what's his name the guy who wrote the status um article eugene way or something you, oh yeah so if if we go by his thing that we're all sort of naturally trying to trying to seek social status i.e prestige yeah and we're we're doing it in the realm that for us is the most most efficient yeah then for for people like you and me kind of the way we got prestige back in the day was by getting good grades at school Okay. But if our grades weren't very good at school, we would have found prestige in other ways. Sure. Yeah. Like by, you know, level 70 prestige or call of duty. Or right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like all of these different kind of rankings, I think like, as I've been reading books around this sort of thing over the last couple of weeks, I've really gotten to think that a big part of happiness comes from th- a, a big part of self-respect and self-esteem comes from seeing yourself as prestigious in the game that you're playing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so for example, you know, if, we, if, I, if, if I use like medical school as an example, the, the, those friends of mine who whose sort of identity was based around coming top of the year or coming like in the top three yeah, would sort of do everything at the expense, like it would sort of expense everything in order to come to the top three because that sort of a cynical way of looking at it is that that, that was their identity's way of yeah. sort of self-respect and happiness. And that was certainly me in, in secondary school. Like my whole identity was tied around this idea that I need to come top of the year. Yep. But then, like for me, when I got into med school, it was like I was like, "All right, I I can't compete in this in this arms race anymore. This is not this is not an efficient market in in, in, in which for me uh, for me to compete in. Time to start a YouTube channel. Well, no, that was (laughs) like initially it was time to start a business and 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 time to get the passive income thing. Okay, because then I suppose kind of looking back on that time the way that I, I could internally signal my prestige to myself and therefore self-respect is that, hey, I'm actually making more money than any, any of my friends are. Uh-huh, look at those suckers. They're working at Marks and Spencer's in the holidays. right Check me out. I've got this business that's making money. yeah And so for me, sort of that, was, that would have been something that I hung an aspect of my identity on. Yeah. And equally, I think that all of, the, all of the different kind of musical instruments and the different activities I tried to get involved in were all ways of trying to diversify my identity and then sort of essentially trying to compete in this prestige market in ways that were not trying to come top of the year because right, I yeah. knew I couldn't, I couldn't do the arms race. Yeah, And then kind of after a few years, for me now, the YouTube channel is my is my quickest, sort of most efficient part of the prestige. <laughs> right. And therefore, like, you know, if people ask me, yeah, like, I, I, think, I think when it comes to happiness, like a big part of my spiel about happiness is that, you know, happiness is a choice and stoicism and, you know, you can choose the things that upset you. You don't yeah, have yeah. to do this and that. But I think partly why that's so easy for me to say is because I've got a domain in which I have prestige relative to my peers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And i have and I wonder if someone who who who's who's in a position where they have a domain where they don't quite have that prestige relative to other people, whether the whole sort of you know just just develop some self respect, dude.
1: Yeah is, yeah.
0: is all is all just hollow words.
1: Yeah. 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 So I, I this is this is something I I've been thinking sort of on and off for probably like the past couple of years because I have. I have friends who, on the face of it, uh, you know, are have uh, are highly prestigious, uh, you know, they have all the right badges and accolades and things like that. And it's interesting to see, okay, yeah, what's interesting is to observe the transition of someone from being like, at the top of their, you know, from, from being prestigious in their own eyes and the eyes of their peers, to kind of being less prestigious in their own eyes and, and the eyes of their peers. And... I, yeah, I, I have I have had this exact thought that you described, which is like, for example, it's very easy for, you know, for someone, let's say, who's gone to like a really prestigious university, it's very easy to turn around and say, ah, this university prestige stuff. It doesn't matter, man. Look, <laughs> I've I've been there. I can tell you, like, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's very easy to say that. Uh, and I think if the same if the same person was was not in that position, uh, you, you know, they, they probably wouldn't feel that way. Uh, and I think, yeah, the whole thing of like, I, f- I find that most of the people who are preaching wisdom, like, oh yeah, just stop comparing yourself to others, man. Like, you know, it's it's all good, like all this kind of stuff, are people who who have won that game already, who have who, already won that game, <laughs> yeah. and so you you know, you've got to be skeptical of what the hell this guy's talking about. Yeah. And I think, like, the, the only you know the the only way you know. Yeah, you you really have seen someone's true colors in terms of their enlightenment when you've seen them in at multiple stages of the thing. And like, you know, if it's someone who's he's been like amazing at jumping through hoops for the first 24 years of their life, you know, top university, top job, blah blah blah. Then if if you if you sort of have that person and you then see them go through a transition of like, you know, no longer kind of top of the pack or something whether or not their enlightenment stays intact, (laughs) that's like the real decider. (laughs) So do you know anyone who's been in that position? Uh, I mean, I think it ebbs and flows for everyone. I definitely, yeah, I definitely know friends who, you know, were previously very high up in the prestige game and are now sort of middling in, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I think, I think these guys are middling or something, but by their own prestige scale, they're, they're now kind of middling. Um, Yeah. I have friends who are like absurdly high up the prestige game and, uh, then kind of... Well, okay, I have one friend who was, who like, absurdly high up the prestige game. Then he, 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 he sort of, like, plateaued a bit. And, uh, you know, he sort of plateaued and then kind of... I mean, he, he's, he's still doing very well or whatever, but he, he kind of plateaued in terms of rising up the ranks and some of his other highly prestigious friends yeah. sort of kept rising. Ooh, and yeah. that, that was a source of, like, real, I guess... Uh, pain. <laughs> yeah, somewhat a source of pain. Um... But now he's like back on top, <laughs> <laughs> so it's really it's really interesting. So now think. he's preaching, oh, you know, it's all good. <laughs> no, no, he's not preaching that, and, and, and actually, like the thing that he and I often talk about is is kind of this phenomenon of like the the competition thing, and I think he he even said like man i really needed this win like he, he got a big win recently he, he said man i really need this win like the past couple of years have just been like a slog of me doing this thing and not getting any you know not seeing anything out of it um so yeah i think it's interesting to watch that but you don't really know if you're enlightened until you've experienced the the up and the down and you mm. haven't changed <laughs> and so i think yeah i think that's that's uh, an interesting metric to look out for what about for you for me yeah um so i think at university i was very like anti-prestige <laughs> you were like <laughs> anti-prestige no i was thinking i was very much rat race at university really i think so well well like trying to get the highest marks in your in your in maths for example no not academically but i oh. think i cared i cared about like hey i'm gonna run this hackathon check me right out. yeah like, i'm running like, this
0: trip to silicon valley
1: right yeah I, I cared about like doing things and being yeah having some kind of influence or state yeah i cared a lot about status basically okay um and the, so while you were saying all that, I was quite quiet because I was trying to think that like, I, I actually don't, I don't feel like I care about it that much, but I was trying to think, is that just a lack of self-awareness on my own part? Mm. Or you know, have I, have I have actually you, <laughs> reached something? <laughs> have you become enlightened? Or am I actually enlightened?
0: <laughs> so I think that thing that you said a, a few episodes ago, which is that you y- you fear for when people will pity you. Yes. I think that's, is that like a status I think, thing? I think the, I, I, I feel sure that must be a status thing.
1: No, no, no. I've thought about it. It's, is that a status thing?
0: So, for example, at the moment, you're doing well prestige-wise in the game that you're playing, which is the sure. I'm running my own startup right type game. Like, you're objectively doing well on the prestige front. Okay. And so, for you to be like, oh, well, I don't really care about status. I mean, like, it, it feels very easy to say that.
1: Okay. Let me, ha- let me have a think about my response to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean... Okay, so I, I, I'd i like to dig into that a bit because if, if, if the game is like doing your own startup or whatever, mm-hmm. I have plenty of friends who are doing far better than I am in that game, right? Okay. And so like there are different circles in which my, you know, me me playing this game carries different levels of prestige. Okay. And the impression I get is that it carries high prestige with my friends who still have day jobs or whatever. Yeah. And it carries less prestige with my friends who are running startups that are more successful than mine. Yeah. But I, I, don't think I actually.
0: Do you think that you're not you're not comparing yourself to your friends running startups more successful than yours because, you, you're, because you're you're playing what you view to be a different a different game, like for example, if your friend was running a startup in the no code note taking space, it's entirely entirely different to what you're doing. So their success has is is not really the same kind of battleground that you're
1: that you're playing in. And look, I don't know if again this might just be lack of self awareness on my own part. But I think for the past couple of years, I have, like, made a really serious effort to unwire the, like, competition, compare myself to other people thing. And, like, at the start, I would definitely, like, a couple of years ago, I was definitely doing it. Like, really close friends of mine running a super successful startup. You know, these guys, you know, are already sort of, you know, multimillionaires many times over. And it's like, I think there, there was a time maybe a couple of years ago where I was like, oh, man those guys are like killing it. What the hell am I doing? Whereas now, like that's still the case, but I don't think... You don't like think of it as like a... I really really don't. Okay. But again, maybe it's like a lack of (laughs) self-awareness. I don't know. (laughs) So do you ever get pangs of envy for what other people are doing? Do I get pangs of envy? I think I used to. I think like at university, I think I used to. Pangs of envy of like... I don't know people yeah people who seem to be like killing it at whatever game um but i think i really have just been trying to make a conscious effort to beat that out of myself i'm trying to think like what kind of stuff would i be envious of now so what do you mean by envy by envy i mean the sort of feeling where you see or hear about
0: someone else's success and you're sort of thinking oh damn that's really cool i'm ki-, and sort of i'm kind of beating myself up that i am not that successful Okay. but like in a sort of moderate way because obviously then you know there there's like a whole spectrum of this and as soon as you catch that pang of envy you want to beat it down right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> with like you know the tim Ferriss and gary vader truck behind you yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to being <laughs> yeah. like
1: no that's not the way to think oh great content <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think when i was i think i used to get it a lot when i was younger so i think when i was younger i i, I often felt quite envious of you especially in scenario so i remember one th- one one time when I was like really envious of you was when you when you got into the whole magic thing, and now really, you, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, interesting. Right. Then, tell me more. <laughs> so you got into the whole magic. So this this is my my perspective. You go into the whole magic thing. Now you could like do magic tricks with like a deck of cards or a coin or whatever, and you'd carry the stuff on you. Uh, and so now at like social occasions, if we were both present, you had this like. You had this like thing that made you automatically interesting and like, oh, Ali, show me a magic trick. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Tabe, can you do any magic tricks? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I think that that <laughs> that was deeply upsetting. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is turning into a therapy session. My goodness. So that was that was deeply upsetting.
0: I'm, I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> and if I'm honest, you should, you should have told me. I kind of felt like it was cheating. It was like a gimmick. <laughs> it was so unfair, you know. Um, so I think I think I felt a lot of envy back then I'm trying to like fast forward to like okay you uni- what was I feeling at university what was I up to at university what were you up to at university I think you had a decent amount of status amongst kind of brown people for being president of the sock or something yeah something like that I don't think I cared terribly about that yeah it wasn't really a, a market that you were playing in no yeah so I th- I'd say if like the magic thing was like 100% <laughs> raw envy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say probably by like, by like the, the start of university. Oh, actually there's another interesting inflection point, which was when I was in year 12 and you'd just gotten into Cambridge. Okay. And I think at that point I felt like, okay, if I don't get into Oxford or Cambridge, yeah. <laughs> I and your will, life is over. I will end my life. <laughs> yeah. And was that like an envy thing? Okay, no, I think the, the magic thing was like raw envy. <laughs> like It was like, screw this guy. <laughs> this is BS. <laughs> the Oxbridge thing was kind of like, it wasn't like envy. It wasn't like, I didn't want you to have that. It was like, all right, he, he's got that. Like, you know, if I if I don't do that, then it'll suck real bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the magic thing, I, I actually, I didn't want you to have that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest You're with you, mate. Like- like- <laughs>
0: just like pointing out to everyone he's using a
1: trick deck yeah. <laughs> guys did you not see he only had half how could he not see that's a double lift over there yeah <laughs> exactly so i think the the oxbridge thing was not i don't know maybe there was some envy tied in but we're definitely down to like uh, below 50 percent or below or something and then at university i don't know if there were like any directly comparable things or something I can't think of any. What, what about you? What's been your journey <laughs> <laughs> of like envying others? <laughs> um,
0: so I don't know. I think it depends how you define envy, but like in school it was, so I, I had my kind of prestige badges sort of on the, on the academic front. And so the, the domains in which I would envy others would be in sort of people who are very kind of sociable, um, good at sports, that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And, I suspect that w- uh, I suspect seeing that was a big drive for me to try and sort of actively improve my own social skills, right? By reading books about how to how to improve <laughs> one's social skills, learning close-up magic, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think sort of wanting to, yeah, w- wanting to be more that more than just the nerd. Okay, yeah, was why I learned uh, close-up magic. <laughs> <laughs> <That's nice. laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Oh yes, I remember a pang of envy used to get. We had a friend called Nick. Nick used to play World of Warcraft as well. Oh, yeah. Nick I used know. to play World of Warcraft, like, next level. Okay. He was, like, on the same level as... He was also level 80 at the time. <laughs> he was also a warlock. But he was playing in, like, a sort of European-ranked raiding guild. Okay. And he was, like, doing the heroic versions of all the bosses before I'd even cleared the normal versions of the bosses because I would always get interrupted doing raids to come down for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And he would just tell his mum to f off. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> Um and so when I would inspect his character on WoW armory, <laughs> I would feel real pang of envy. How the hell has he got Nibelung that staff? He's got he's got it enchanted as well. Oh my goodness. He's got eighteen thousand gold, he bought that mechano chopper. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> so I used to be really envious of Nick's success on World of Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had the attention of the druids. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he got all of the girls. <laughs> Uh, you were genuinely envious about that. Yeah, genuinely. It was what?
0: like it was it was a domain in which I was like literally head-to-head competing with we were both level 80 warlocks, right? But he <laughs> was like he was like next level level yeah, 80 warlock, right. and I was like scrub noob level 80 warlock.
1: Yeah. So I used to be really envious of that. Funny <laughs> hell. It's like screw this guy. <laughs> Why did uh, you care about that? I think it's like be- no one knew it's not it's not like anyone in real life knew about either of your level 80 warlock lives. <laughs> 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 no, but it was
0: because I think it was it was more com- in competition with myself in that I thought that the level that I was playing the game was pretty reasonable given my circumstances. <laughs> and here was a dude who was, had identical circumstances apart from the fact that he could just flip off his mum <laughs> rather than going <laughs> down for dinner. <laughs> I was like literally the only difference between him and me. <laughs> white people thinks. So. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that because that's divisive, Taymor. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I didn't mean that. Um, But no one's going to send us hate email complaining that we're sort of disparaging white people. Anyway, um, yeah, it felt like a true sort of head-to-head comparison. I was like... This is what's possible with you know he's 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 also in school most of the day yeah he's he's, he's not bunking school he's getting really good grades he also got into Cambridge like you know, <laughs> this guy is winning on all the on the academic front, and he's also absolutely <laughs> whooping my ass because he's got the vengeful gladiators cowl and all I have is kind of this rare item rather than the epic item damn so that was a real source of enemy back in back in the day what the hell <laughs> that's so weird <laughs> I think at university it was kind of the envy of the popular people again, like sort of the groups of, you know, the cool kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, the standard thing, you know, trying to improve my social skills, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah. There was, there was one moment, like a few, a few months ago where like I was chatting to some dude who was like, he's like running the startup and like on the surface, it seemed, it seemed to be quote crushing it. And on the surface, this guy seemed to have like loads of money and seemed to sort of be like traveling the world and stuff as like a hobby and was also like, you know, hench and also like had an attractive girlfriend and stuff and so, so, sort of seemed to be winning on all of the fronts right um and i i remember feeling like a a pang of envy and thinking oh this is unusual because like i hadn't felt that feeling in a very long time oh uh, really and then i was sort of thinking about this and i was thinking that maybe, Wait, how long ago was this a few months ago th- yeah this was like a few months ago okay um and i was thinking that i wondered to what extent that's because i sort of amongst the people that Amongst my closest friends, I'm I'm winning the prestige game in the game that I'm playing, I I've got more fans on YouTube than any any of them. Right, okay. <laughs> so regardless of how prestigious their jobs and stuff are, I feel very secure in myself that I'm I'm sort of the 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 king of the losers. <laughs> right, okay. <Yeah. laughs> in 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 the category that I'm playing in. Yeah. But I suppose if I were to meet another sort of YouTuber who's my age or younger, okay. With a similar kind of following and also source of passive income and also kinda of living the lifestyle that I think I would want. Yeah. I would feel like a pang of enemy be oh okay. You know he's already at that point and he's younger than me. Yeah. You know, where did I go wrong? I like, I so, sort of as a drive for self-improvement. Okay. Being like, Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And then I was, I was kind of Googling about this topic of envy and there was all the, all, all, all these quotes from people being like, you know, when you feel pangs of envy, that's a sign about the lifestyle, about the life that you want or, so, or something like that. And it kind of goes to one of Alain de Botton's thing, which was that we don't feel envious of the queen because she's just too weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, she's got all this money and all this land and, yeah. like, you know. That's, <laughs> she owns the swans. <laughs> yeah. That's not something that, that, that keeps you up at night. Right. But if like your closest friend Got yeah, a promotion yeah, yeah. to like double their salary, you would feel envy towards that because you're like, oh damn, screw that guy. Why, why, why can not I get that?
1: I think it's called like the narcissism of small differences or something. Oh, is it right? That's an I, I, it. I think I, that's a term I've heard. I, I don't know if Alan coined that or someone else. Yeah. um Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, you only feel, you only feel envious of people who you think are in some in the same league as you in yeah. some way, right? Like no no one's looking at Warren Buffett and thinking, oh man, like <laughs> dude's got all the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good new word for you. Thank you. Yeah, it was after your r- 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 reply to my tweet. Yeah, yeah, I thought it might be. Yeah, I think it really is only with sort of people who you see as your peers. Um, okay, so you had that. You had that sort of pang of envy response, yeah. and like, did you kind of try and beat it out of yourself? Oh, yeah, obviously. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna have a pang of envy and not try and beat it out of myself because clearly it's not an enlightened way to think. Right,
0: <laughs> as an enlightened soul.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I suspect like. Hmm yeah, maybe the fact that you you know you've you've been very high up on the prestige thing, and you, you're not really surrounded by people who are kind of higher up on the prestige thing, I means that you don't you're not put in that position very often. Yeah, I had not really so, inoculated myself. Right, after. and and <laughs> yeah. so I think just by virtue of that, like, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 I'm less enlightened than you are. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. mate. I didn't make this comparative. <laughs> you got to sort that out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think like. You should probably discount how enlightened you think you are uh, as a result of that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's been what I, I like. Actually been one of the things keeping, uh, keeping me up at night,
0: thinking, yeah, <laughs> damn, that pang <punk> of envy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not as enlightened as I thought I was. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I need to yeah. read Stoicism one more time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I feel like this stuff actually changes because I've had so many points in my life where... <clears throat> I've had points in my life where I've kind of thought, okay, now I'm like over this thing. I'm like, you know, for example, I used to compare myself to you a lot when we were growing up. And I think there was like a moment in like third year of university where I truly felt like, okay, no, I'm over this now. You know, <laughs> I'm enlightened. It's a new plane. <laughs> I'm enlightened. Um, but then like, I'm trying to think where, it, I, think it, I think it mostly comes up in, in context- yeah. So I think it comes up a little bit these days in like, it, it basically in the magic trick context, but now instead of the magic trick, you have a YouTube account. <laughs> <laughs> and so that makes you really interesting now. <laughs> um, and I think like at the start, I think early on, maybe like, well, how long ago do you start? Like two or three years ago now? Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah. So I think probably in like, in like year one of that or something, I think, I can't remember any like explicit incidences, but I, I seem to recall that like that was like a big deal of like, oh my God, are you starting a YouTube channel or something? And I think I felt, uh, I felt a bit marginalized. <laughs> like, damn, first the medicine thing, then the magic thing. Yeah. <laughs> I felt marginalized because so I just started learning closer magic. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you, you remember how you liked that trick 10 years ago? <laughs> Look at this one. i oh, the deck of cards. Anyone got a coin I could borrow? <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe in like year one of the YouTube thing, um, I, I felt a, a bit of envy about the sort of social attention Um, but, but yeah, I thought in in third year of uni, which was like two years prior to that or something, I thought I was over it. Um, and, and this, this friend of mine who like highly prestigious and plateau and now back on top or whatever. I, I, yeah, I think in discussions with him, I think we've talked about this as well. And he said, I, I think he, he has alluded to kind of when he was younger thinking he was over some of these things and then yeah and then it comes back Uh, and then you have a chat with someone you're like damn yeah (laughs) (laughs) pang of envy all right clearly there's there's more work to be done lads.
0: right yeah yeah so yeah yeah. anyway getting getting back to the book um there were a few other kind of interesting points here so kind of we've we've talked about competition um another interesting thing that i i i I didn't really have sort of any real appreciation for in the past was norms social norms ah (laughs) (laughs) in the past (laughs) (laughs) correct um and basically, about sort of how social norms are such an important part of how we sort of uh, enforce culture. Um, and we, I think, we've done an, an episode in the past about gossiping and complaining. Yeah. Um, but I sort of in, I've I've always kind of viewed gossiping as like, oh, you know, this is sort of base human nature. You know, gossiping is is not a good thing. But actually, it is because gossiping exists that we can enforce social norms. And by enforcing social norms, it means that society behaves in a way, like for example you'd feel bad cutting in front of in front of the queue to like yeah like it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be legal it w- it's it's not a re- it's not an aspect where the law fits into this it's an aspect where it's purely your behavior is decided by social norms yeah because of the you know the sidelong glances that people give you no one will probably very few people would be like hey mate you've you've cut in line yeah. but you just wouldn't do it because you know because there's a huge social norm against it um, one of the interesting social norms is of course that of bragging <laughs> Ah, where are we? So clearly we all all enjoy tooting our our own horns now and again. And so bragging or showing off is tolerated occasionally and in small doses. And in some contexts, bragging may even be celebrated, consider Muhammad Ali, for instance. I don't know what that means. But in most contexts, we start to bristle when people get too full of themselves. It's part of that forager aversion to dominance, since bragging is a way to increase one's influence and dominance within a community. We'd be wary of Daniel Kahneman, for example. If he went around introducing himself as a Nobel Prize winner, we'd wonder why he felt the need to put himself above everyone else. For this reason, we actively celebrate people for being humble and enjoy seeing arrogant people brought down a peg or two. But note, there remains a strong incentive to brag and show off. (laughs) We need people to notice our good qualities, skills, and achievements. How else will they know to choose us as friends, mates, and teammates? We want people to notice our charitable contributions, our political connectedness, and our prowess in art, sport, and school. If it weren't verboten, we'd post to Facebook every time we donated to charity, got a raise at work, or made friends with an important person. But because bragging is frowned upon, we have to be a little more discreet topic we'll explore in the the next chapter Um, yeah and so I found that very interesting as well because like almost everything that I do on my YouTube channel I always have this sort of nagging feeling of like am I doing this like for a good reason or or is the real reason that I just want to brag yeah yeah I just want to signal I just want to show off and they're they're all like very um, sort of very dirty words like I feel I I, I cringe a little bit inside even saying saying it out loud now. just the phrase that yeah, yeah I made I made that video about how much money I own just to just to brag. Yeah, <laughs> was that it? Uh, it? It must have been a part of it. Yeah, and like it would be completely unreasonable for for me to say that you know showing off was zero part of that because even if I've even if in my head showing off was not at all a part of why I made that video, given that all the evidence is that we very much deceive ourselves in terms of our real motives for things like that, that has to have been some element of it. Um, and also when it comes to, when it comes to a realm like YouTube, you know, making a video about my desk setup, like I know it's going to get views Uh, and I know it's also going to increase my prestige in the eyes of like, you know, a a certain subset of my fan base (laughs) because like, Oh, this guy's got a big 49 inch monitor. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the black magic EGPU? Yes, it is. Thank you for noticing. Uh, and, and so it's, I think this is where social media kind of puts a short circuit in stuff. In that we've created this vehicle through which anyone can brag, at a, a sort of a, with almo- like almost unlimited scale. Like you can scalably brag, right? <laughs> yeah. Like back in the day, you know, caveman society. Yeah, check out my six pack. Yeah. You know, only the only the tribe is going to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now it's like you know you're Zac Efron. You post your six pack. You've got your eighty eighty million followers are going to see that. So like. You've really scaled up a braggability. And so what I worry is that to what extent is the stuff that I make on YouTube, me just bragging slash showing off slash, you know, doing this implicitly in a way to increase my own prestige, my own social status to try and garner more mates and friends and teammates. Yeah. Um, And yeah, there's got to be some some element of that.
1: (laughs) So I remember in a couple of episodes ago, you said something like the only reason you started the YouTube channel was for social status or something. Uh, Uh, You said something like that. I mean, yeah, that would be that a, weird. Uh,
0: I mean, the, the main reason I started the YouTube channel was to make money, uh, which is indirectly tied, tied to social status.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, fair. Uh,
0: it, it, it wasn't that I was thinking, hey, you know, if I hit millions of subscribers, then I'll be prestigious socially. Right, okay. It was more that, you know, I, I don't think this is going to go anywhere, but I know that it's going to make me
1: some money. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I think on the, like, I think on the social media bragging front, like, who do you care about? I, I can understand, like, maybe at the start of it or something. You know the bragging thing and like getting people saying like, "Oh my god, look, look at him!" I can imagine that's a novel thing and it's like, "Oh, this feels good." But that, how has that like? Is that, has there been diminishing returns? Like, has it gotten old now? Like the attention and the prestige of the the YouTube thing? It's not. It's not that direct though. Like, it's it's not that
0: people that I know in real life are going to view me as more prestigious if I have eight hundred thousand versus four hundred thousand followers. It's not. It's not that. I think it's. I I, I think it's once you. Once you hit a certain size on YouTube, you're now competing in a different kind of league. Like, if you, if you just start a YouTube channel, you've got three followers, like, you're not going to be envious of someone with 2 million followers. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just completely, yeah. But as I've grown on YouTube, I've noticed myself looking at people like Thomas Frank, Matt DiVella, you know, right. 1.8 million, 2.7 million, tracking the subscriber counts. Like, not, like, actively, but, like, oh, yeah, yeah, these guys are doing really well. I want to get my thing to that game. Whereas, you know, in, in year one and year two of YouTube, I wouldn't have even considered them any, like, yeah, like yeah, in yeah. the in the same league. yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think I, I haven't really sort of crystallized my thoughts around this, but I think the social media thing short circuits a lot of our hardwired sort of behavioral processes, whereas we, ha- we all have this kind of desire to kind of seek social status. Yeah. But now it's no longer limited to our local our local village, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we've all started a personal blog. We're now trying to seek social status from everyone in the world.
1: Okay, uh, which is. But I, I'm talking specifically about like like the bragging thing. Mm. Like you said that you know part part of the reason why you you'll, you know you make these videos that sort of show off your wealth in some way is the bragging aspect. Yeah. But like, doesn't that get old? Like, it's not it's not like the people you look up to. Like, it's not like Matt Diavel is looking at. Uh, looking at Ali Abdal's, how much money I make video, I think man this guy <laughs> he's killing it mm-hmm. like so like who uh, doesn't the brag? doesn't the bragging get old given that you're sort of bragging to the, the people you're not it's not like you're bragging to the people that you look up to it's like it's like a brag for the people who look up to you yes uh, doesn't that get old like has there been diminishing returns or is it still kind of like ooh if I put this in the video then like people will perceive me to be this way I think
0: there's a big element of sort of image image manipulation going on here. Um but I think it's also like it's re- it's really hard to kind of I-, I actually disentangle the true motives. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot since 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 reading these books because for example I would be very open about the fact that I'm single and, like, hey, you know, check out my Tinder profile, guys, as a sort of tongue in cheek, kind of low value, you know, huh, I'm just a nerd and I have no successful girls kind of vibe. Right. <laughs> but, you know, that's also image manipulation. In a yeah, way. Like, yeah. That yeah. is actively the image that I want to bring across. Otherwise, I won't leave it in the edit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, like, like, equally, when it's stuff like, you know, my five, five lessons I've learned about racism where it's sort of generally there's not many cuts. I'm talking in a kind of low voice. I'm talking, i sort of speaking from the heart. Yeah. That is also me crafting an image. Like, yeah. It's also, it's also based on image that I worry internally to what extent my motives are what I think they are. Because I think my true motive for making that how much money I make with a video was A, to get views and B, to inspire people okay. primarily. But I worry that maybe, maybe the actual motive was bragging slash showing off. Okay. And I've just kind of deceived myself into thinking that actually that's not how I operate. Which kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit bad inside that that might even be on the cards yeah. as a potential. Whereas before sort of actively engaging with this sort of material about just kind of selfish motives, I was like, yeah, you know, the only reason I did that, that
1: video was for the views, obviously. And, you know, for the, for the inspiration factor. I still feel like you haven't answered my question of like... What's your question? My question is like, I imagine the first bunch of times... I yeah it definitely Wait. gets old like getting comments from people being like oh my god you've changed my life
0: like, okay at the start it's like oh my god i've changed someone's life now it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah right it's tuesday <laughs> join the queue mate <laughs> get in line. join yeah. the Inst- instagram request section where i'm not going to see your dm for like four months <laughs> um yeah but the, that's just the hedonic adaptation that happens with anything
1: okay all right yeah that's fair
0: it's kind of like like, like back in the like oh my god i've got 64 subscribers now yeah and now yeah. it's like cool you know monthly growth 67k it was 80k last month shit i need a bit of viral video about how much money i make yeah <laughs> <laughs> it just be- be- becomes a new normal
1: right okay but then like surely if that's a new normal like then you actually don't really care about the bragging thing that much anymore because like it doesn't feel that good anymore that's what i'm trying to get at like okay so like an do, another, for example I, do do you think like matt Diavela would be like no kind of I'm, brag? I, I'm not trying to brag to matt d'avella <laughs> No, 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 yeah. no, no, I'm saying like, yeah. for example, you look up to Matt D'Avella. Yep. He's been in this game, I don't know, a bit longer than you or something, or he's like a bit more followers yep. or something. Like, do you think he's he still cares about like bragging to his 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 viewers? Maybe he's just crafted a really good image that implies that he doesn't care about that. Yeah, the impression but, I have of him is that, he, is that he doesn't care about that. But I, I, also, I also just think like, that would get boring for anyone at that point. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Okay, so maybe kind of bragging is the wrong word for this. So um,
0: another sort of aspect of, Another aspect of kind of signalling is that we all we all want to signal our social status in, right. in ways in in various ways. We want to strive for for this thing that we call social status. One of the ways in which we commonly signal is by using money. Uh, and so you know the common examples of this are like conspicuous consumption. You would signal to your neighbors how rich you are by the you know the front lawn or the car that you have in the driveway or the Louis Vuitton handbag that you've got. Yeah. Um, my concern is that you know. Given that, I feel like I don't really signal signal the money aspect of my life in real life. Am I just sort of using videos like how much money I earn and how to make money online and stuff? And oh, kind I of thro- Throwing that into the conversation, and be like, yeah. hey, guys, when you're financially independent, check out what you can <laughs> do. Ha, ha, ha. That means you must be financially independent. That means you, you must be really freaking rich. You know, I, that, that's, that's my thought process. Like, to what extent by making videos and sort of in my head, I'm talking candidly and transparently about money, yeah. which is like genuinely something I think more people should yeah, do more often. Sure. But to what extent is there a hidden motive of, I just want to signal my wealth to people in real life, to people no, to people on the internet. <laughs> you, oh, real life. okay. Like to people in real life, like I wouldn't at all mind if people in real life saw that video,
1: like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be embarrassing in, in the slightest. No, 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 yeah. no. I'm saying like you wanted to signal your wealth, not so that people in real life know that you're wealthy, but so that the internet knows you're wealthy. I think, yeah, I think it's more, yeah. if, if there was a signaling intent to that video, it was
0: more so that the internet knows I'm wealthy, oh. rather than so that people in real life know I'm wealthy. Oh, that's interesting. I actually can really care less about people
1: in real life. Why do you care about the internet, people? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I really do. I'm just kind of, I'm just concerned that. Okay, I might. right, okay, yeah. And yeah. therefore, it makes all of this stuff feel just just a little bit wrong. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Because yeah, I mean, obviously, like this is on a very much smaller scale than your YouTube thing, but the, you know, the sort of the paltry prestige or like status associated with this podcast i don't really yeah i don't really talk about it in real life with anyone no no no. yeah oh, but yeah, like i I, I find it i find it i care it makes me a lot happier for example if someone in real life is like like someone i know in real life that's what i mean by someone in real life someone i know in real life is like oh man I listen to podcasts really like it i'm like oh really Stick, yeah. man. like <laughs> i had no idea people actually listen to it yeah, yeah. i practically tear up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um whereas i don't the the online thing just doesn't really have any effect on me at all and if i if i did want to signal and stuff like that it would be for the people in real life not for interesting not for the the faceless N- not masses r- r- randoms on the internet yeah so I, th- I think that that's interesting yeah but i don't know maybe it's like a scale thing maybe like at at the scale of your youtube thing i don't know maybe that's it i, I have no idea who knows hmm Anyway, so uh, four is, chapter
0: four is called Cheatings, Ch- chapter five is self def- Self-Deception, and chapter six is Counterfeit Reasons. Um, counterfeit Reasons is where we get that lovely quote from, which is, a man always has two reasons for doing anything, a good reason and the real reason. And there's a really interesting study here that I, I, I hadn't come across before. Um, so there's um, a certain category of like patients that uh, a lot of psych- psychology studies are done on. Those are called Split Brain Patients. Patients who've had a corpus callosomectomy, it's the bit of the brain that connects the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. Um, And so stuff like language is usually sorted out by the the left hemisphere because there's areas in the left hemisphere that deal with language. Um, And sort of, if you look at the visual field, this is simplifying a little bit, but sort of, if, if we look in the middle of your visual field, stuff on the left is handled by your right hemisphere and stuff on the right is handled by your left. And so what some studies do is that they they would flash up, they would, they would get you wearing those kind of optometrist glasses type things. And they would flash up an instruction like uh, get up and go to the toilet. And then you would get up and go to the toilet. Um, but it, it, it would, they would flash it to your right hemisphere. So your right hemisphere would see that visual cue and there's nothing seen by your left. So you'd get up and go to the toilet. And then the experiment would ask, where are you going? And now it's the left side of your brain that has to answer. And your left side of the brain doesn't have access to that information that you just received the order to get up and go to the toilet. Um, and so there, there are a few clever examples of this in the in the chapter and sort of the 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 subsection is entitled i wanted to get a coke which is what one subject said when he stood up and started walking towards the door to go to the toilet he was asked well, where are you going and he was like i you know i want to get a coke <laughs> <All> right, okay <laughs> and this this idea of i wanted to get a coke shows how like he, he he was fully convinced that that was the reason why he was he was getting up because he didn't have access to that right hemisphere part of it um and what they're saying is that like all these different studies show just how effortlessly our brains can rationalize its own behavior in ways that we we aren't even aware of. And so uh, there's a a concept that they end with called the press secretary in capital letters. And the press secretary is the brain module that is responsible for explaining our actions, typically to third parties. Um, And so kind of like the press secretary of like donald trump like anything any policy that he does the press secretary is going to talk about how oh, actually this is a great policy because we'll blah, 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 sort of make yeah, up yeah. all these reasons and will contradict stuff they said in the past just to be congruent with what the president has decided yeah. and equally what they're arguing in this book is that we have this kind of our whole brain and a metaphor that um jonathan Haidt uses is that he also calls it the the elephant and the rider uh which is unhelpful because this elephant in the brain is a different sort of thing yeah And he says kind of the elephant is the bulk of our brain that intuitively decides what our moral views and things are like, you know, why we feel this sense of disgust about a brother and a sister having sex with each other, even if it's purely consensual and right. they're using contraception. But then our press secretary, you know, the bit that explains our actions to other people is like, okay, uh, I, f- I felt disgusted that. Um, yeah. There yeah. must be a reason why it's bad. Uh, uh, maybe d- they might get deformed babies. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> for they're using contraception. Okay. Um. <laughs> may- maybe, uh, what if it, uh, I don't know, what if they're psychologically damaged as a result of it? Like, okay. Uh, you know, assume they're not. Okay. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so this idea of the press secretary is very interesting. And sort of, this was the first time I'd come across this this model of okay. the way that we explain our actions to others is as, as if we've got this price secretary with a capital P and a capital S kind of explaining our actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of how they end this idea of the sort of build, building up the case from the ground up about why we hide our motives essentially the, the better to deceive others and to win this sort of competitive arms race yeah and then the second part of the book they go on to talk about hidden motives when it comes to body language laughter conversation consumption art charity very interesting education medicine religion politics uh all these different domains in which we sort of say one thing but actually our hidden motives are something completely different yeah so i think that's uh, everything i had to say on the book front for now
1: nice that's pretty interesting stuff hmm give me a second let me uh let me process a few things. Hmm. I'm trying to think whether there's any like thought experiment that, that you can try and do to account for this sort of, you know, this thing that we were talking about, about like, if you're, if you have prestige and you're like denouncing prestige, you you know, you're probably not that enlightened. I'm trying to think, is there like a, is there some way you can actually get around that to actually understand how enlightened you are? So let me ask you a hypothetical. In your case, suppose, suppose you got cancelled. <laughs> suppose like you got well and truly cancelled. Uh, you know, similar level of badness to like Logan Paul's thing a couple of years ago, right? For those of you who don't know, Logan Paul, big YouTuber, vlogger guy, filmed like a guy hanging from a tree or something in, some, in a forest. Uh, and that was widely agreed to be uncool. And then he got, like, massively cancelled. And I think he basically kind of went into hibernation for a bit, did an apology. Like, I, I think he's he's kind of back on the up now, but I think that let, he took a real hit from that. Now, if you... Go, so, if you, you know, if, if someone said, oh, well, like, what if your YouTube account didn't exist anymore? That's That's not a good question, because, like, you still have the stuff that... The value that is accrued from it. But I think if you got cancelled for doing something really bad... That you you would actually lose most of the value, most of the social value. I guess you still have the money, but like, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> how would you if if you think about the hypothetical of like you getting cancelled? How how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, I feel absolutely devastated. <laughs> okay, but I think I think the idea of getting
0: cancelled it's 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 more like you know what Logan Paul said in his, in his apologies. I've become the most hated hated guy on the internet. Yeah, yeah. it's like the the whole world basically okay fine fine it's yeah. like it's pretty extreme things that you're a dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's not a nice place but like I don't think anyone who's renouncing no. prestige will be happy with that position no no sure 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 where all of society is, is is against them okay yeah yeah fine cancelling's a bad example yeah I think yeah I find it I find it very hard to believe that the, that the people who renounce prestige as in I don't I don't really think this is the argument that anyone's making. Like Tim Ferriss recently did a did a blog post about you know eleven reasons not to become famous. Talking yeah, yeah, about I that one. you know how fame is sort of bad in all these different ways. But at the end of it, he says that you know having said all of this, I wouldn't not become famous. Yeah, I just wish I'd kind of known a little bit more about it before I got there. Yeah, and I imagine with Tim Ferriss, if he took away his sort of prestige and social status overnight and he got sort of cancelled to the extent that Logan Paul did, or worse, then I imagine that would be pretty devastating for him, despite the fact that he's a m- zillionaire and yeah. and stuff. Okay. So I, d- I don't think anyone is really saying that, oh, actually, prestige doesn't make any difference. Like, I've never heard anyone be like, oh, actually, you know, it, 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 it actually doesn't matter what people think of you. People do say that. Not in the... Uh, in, in specific contexts. In the context of, you know... It, it doesn't matter if people think you're an idiot, therefore do okay, that thing. Okay, okay, sure. As opposed yeah. to, it doesn't matter if the whole world no, yeah, hates thinks, you. <laughs> yeah. hate, like, actively hates you because you're a terrible person. And you're yeah. like, you know, Harvey Weinstein, I don't think he's saying it doesn't matter what people think of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if you've done a bad thing and people think of you badly for doing a bad thing or multiple bad things, in this yeah. case, <laughs> then yeah. Like I don't think anyone is going to say that actually I'm
1: so enlightened that I don't care. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I think there was one turning point for me that made me, I think I've, I've brought this up on the podcast before. It was a turning point in in 3rd year where I th- I think I was I was made aware of the fact that I had at least at least one like unconditional friend who genuinely does not care about this stuff and you know. Mm. And I think I think that was an important turning point because I think I, before that my kind of implicit world view was that I need to be demonstrably valuable mm. for people to you know, for people to uh, like value me or something, and then I think that helped to that sort of started to undo that. But the clincher is this: the clincher is that it's in like the the romantic sphere because, regardless of how many like friends you have or whatever, you you still probably want to like find a mate for you know for various le- reasons. I think most of, most of the reasons are actually long term. That you still got to do that, mm. and so, and like inevitably, you know, even even if you reach some like higher plane of enlightenment <laughs> where you are, a, you're a ball of plasma that's just like floating around. Yeah. <laughs> you've you've escaped your body, you know. Even if you reach that level, you're still someone gonna...
0: still needs to want to have sex with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, you're still gonna have to. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you, could, you, can opt, you can opt out of every game. You can you can opt out of every game that everyone's playing. Yeah. But to a large extent- so Then you'll
0: be removed from the gene pool, <laughs> essentially. <Yeah. laughs> yes.
1: To a large extent, you can't opt out of the mating game. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe you can. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> but to a large extent, that is a game that will, you know, everyone's not playing exactly the same game, but that's a game in which, you know- everyone's playing a similar game you know i i think in in very you know in in most things in life you can't really like rank people or something you know because everyone's playing different games and things i think obviously in in the mating game you also can't rank people but it's 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 a lot more the same game than all Mm. the other games and so oh you still do an
0: episode on the uh, sexual marketplace (laughs) with our vast experience uh, (laughs) and all the different theories espoused about that
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think you, you can't opt out of that one, and so the clincher is you still you still have to have some concern for how you are perceived and your status and all of that kind of mm. stuff. And I always think that, like, you know, to be honest, the main I I, I do genuinely think that the main reason I care, you know, the, to whatever extent I still care about that stuff, that's the reason. And if I feel like I've cut, I you know, if I feel like I've got got that in the bag, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> then I genuinely won't care. Then I truly won't we will have no no reason to care about it well like status and things yep and th- maybe that's really naive and unself-aware but i i genuinely i genuinely don't think i care about like status on the on like the friends front or whatever i i genuinely don't care about it okay i think because you've got enough friends who value you as a friend right rather yeah than i as think am over of, it yeah. yeah um but i think on that front i th- i do think it's important but I feel like once that's, once that's sorted... Once that's in the bag, then you're like, all right, I can become a hermit. Right. <laughs> I can become my ball of plasma. Yeah. <laughs> Time to escape yeah, my physical cage. Exactly. <laughs> that, like, ectoplasma thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, like a little Darth Vader <laughs> thing in the mask, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is what peak performance looks like. Nice. But
0: first you've got to have kids, and then you can explain, escape your physical <laughs> cage. <laughs> And then, and then you have to pro- provide for them as well. <laughs> oh, mate, it's never ending. Yeah. And then at that point, you probably want to be an impressive figure to your kids. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and you want them to sort of be proud of their dad. <laughs> Rather than, you know, what does your dad do? Oh, <laughs> he's escaped the physical realm. <laughs> oh, assume I'm single then, is she? <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. sorry sure if you're lost. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> Good. Well, what, no, what do you think about that? Or the mate-seeking thing. Yeah. The oh, ma- yeah. It's super important. No, 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 yeah, for sure. But, like, don't you think that's the reason you, it, to whatever extent, you still do it? Don't you think that's the reason? Yeah. And, like, I'd, if, I'd, if you felt like you had, you had the mate in the bag, <laughs> metaphorically. Oh, <yeah. laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's 2020.
1: All <laughs> have of different preferences.
0: Um, yeah, if I felt like I had the mate in the bag.
1: Would you, like, I think I'd, just, I'd care, like, 1% of what I care now. Oh, I, I don't
0: know. know. Because really?
1: having because having a mate in the bag is not quite having a mate in the bag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having a mate in the bag is never is never unconditional. The mate is never in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, yeah,
0: it's not it's not that you you sort of bag it and then <laughs> and then you go off the rails and then you sort of become a slob and stuff.
1: No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. No, no, I think it's different. No, like,
0: it's it, it, that, thats basically what you're saying, just in the metaphorical realm of status
1: status seeking. No, no, status seeking in a like external way. I imagine, like, I don't know, yeah, like for example, to to some extent, I feel like I have enough good friends in the bag that I don't need to be concerned about my status in that realm, you know.
0: And it's—are you sure though? I think you're possibly not being self-aware here because. For example, let's say you have all, all these kind of good friends in the, in, in the proverbial bag. Imagine you were to decide to opt out from life and, I don't know, become like a hermit playing World of Warcraft and become like, you know, sort of overweight. And sort of, sort of think about every stereotype of kind of, sort of like what Jordan Peterson would call like a big baby, kind of you're 30 years old and you're kind of still living in your mom's <laughs> house and playing video games. And, okay. and essentially that is your life. I'm not sure if you sort of projected time significantly far ahead your friends would still be associating with you to the degree that they currently are like imagine you're sort of all of our friends are fairly sort of are uh, you on a certain level in the prestige game right and in the job market and stuff as all of these guys get married have kids excel in those fields possibly move away and if you were to not essentially keep up and essentially kind of completely opt out of that i wonder to what extent no no no, still no. Be I, friends.
1: I think that i think that's a bad example because
0: it's unrealistic but like imagine becoming a charity case where your friends are seeing you because they're like oh you know tame hasn't had social contact in a while i want to see him you know, <laughs> okay. that's not a position you'd want to be in
1: yeah for sure but like i think I- <laughs> you're you're acting as if everyone's secret goal is to become a big baby playing world of warcraft <laughs> and if if you if you somehow escape the stages game you're going to devolve into that I've like been, i'm speaking for
0: myself here <laughs> Man, as soon as Shadowlands comes out, in November 2020, I'm gonna I'm gonna be back in Azeroth. <laughs> back in diapers. <laughs> I'm gonna self-catheterize. I can I, I, I can self-catheterize myself.
1: Okay, but look, like okay, let me give let me give you a hypothetical. For example, uh,
0: we should split this episode into two parts. It means we don't have two do one next week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, for example, I think you know doing doing a startup or whatever. There are certain external markers that can garner you prestige for example you know raising large amounts of money or like raising money from prestigious investors or you know that kind of stuff right and what i'm saying is that you know for for example i think like external prestige stuff like that is i'm saying like it doesn't matter to you i'm saying like i'm not concerned about
0: external indicators of like external badges
1: yeah, look, I like to think I'm not concerned about that, but also I think I feel I have friends in the bag to an extent that they don't, you know, that they, they, they also don't really care too much about that. Okay, sure. And so, you know, for if if we take a scenario in which, let's say I'm tinkering away on some stupid website, yeah. you know, much like I currently am. <laughs> <laughs> Causal.app. <laughs> yeah. So I'm tinkering away on my stupid website. And there are no external markers of, you know, validation. Versus I'm tinkering away on my stupid website and there are external markers of validation.
0: Yeah. You don't think it's going to make a difference to your friendship group? Yeah. That's entirely reasonable. I don't think any of my friends would care whether I'm 800,000 or
1: sort of 1.8 million subscribers. Right. Sure. But, for example, in the mating game, having 1.8 million subscribers is presumably slightly better. Oh, yeah. (laughs) From what I've heard. (laughs) I guess we'll find out one day. (laughs) Right. And so... You you probably should be. I mean, not not concerned, but like, I guess it's it's defensible to care about that in the mating game. But but once you've got there, then like you can keep tinkering away with you know, to keep to keep my language going. Your stupid videos <laughs> and there's you know the, you, you don't need to care about the external thing at all anymore. Hey, what I'm saying is, I feel like. With the mate in the bag. stop saying this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It sounds like, uh,
0: it sounds like Tame was going to get cancelled today. (laughs) Hypothetically. (laughs) No, I see, I see what you're saying. Right. I think you are discounting how much intrinsically our own self-esteem and self-respect depends on our status. Because yes, you could have the mate in the bag and you could have this group of friends that you hang out with, like the boys that you hang out with on the reg. And yet, if, your startup were to fail and you were and you were no longer competing in the startup game and you were just kind of tinkering maybe writing random articles on medium as one does (laughs) and getting like three views each yeah and you've you still got like i don't know 2k twitter followers and you're occasionally chatting with that yeah that would probably be a very unsatisfying kind of life for you and i would i would suspect that a big reason as to why that would be unsatisfying is because you're not making progress in a particular game currently you're making progress in a particular game. And yeah, you're right. Your friends don't care about how much you've raised and what your series precede round is. And my friends don't care about how many subscribers I have. But because I'm making progress in in a game, I feel that life is good. And I really noticed this like when like with the six met stuff, as, as our revenue was going up and our numbers were going up, it felt really, really, really freaking good. But as soon as things started to decline, suddenly it was like, oh, crap, you know, what's going wrong here? And I think it's very easy when you're on a growth trajectory to have a view that actually it's all, oh, actually, I, you know, I, I, I don't care about subscribers. I don't care about views. Which is kind of what I would tell myself. But I know that if those started to decline, it would be absolutely devastating. <laughs> so guys, please keep watching my videos.
1: I understand what you're saying, but it, I think... I, I think, think I, if you were to
0: just tinker around on a stupid website that wasn't that wasn't growing, it would be very unfulfilling. And I'm uh, saying a, a, a big part of that would be because you no longer have a, a status game that you're competing in.
1: Okay, let me give you an example. I, I think I think you... <clears throat> I haven't explained what I'm trying to say very well. Because I think you, your thing is, is worth bearing in mind, but your thing is the same thing as... Uh, the point you're making is, is the the point we were talking about earlier about like discounting your enlightenment based on your sort of prestige or something. Fine. That's the point you're making, right? Um, you, it's a rephrasing of that. It's the same point. It's like, oh, I feel good now because I'm growing or whatever, but I really can't, you know, and it's easy for me to say that I don't care about okay, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the point you make. I'm trying to get at something different, which is that, okay, so for example, there are people, you know, let's say you're an academic, right? Let's say you're an academic at a... University that it isn't prestigious, right? You're working on some obscure maths, right? Like you know, no one understands. I say you're stuck in University College Oxford. (laughs) 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 No, so like if you're an academic, so for example, let's say you're you're an academic who's got a few good friends, (laughs) and you've got you've got a nice lifelong partner and mate, (laughs) and and you feel like you feel like that's fine, like you feel secure in that. And now, like, you're spending, you know, you're, you're whiling away the rest of your life on some obs- obscure maths yep. that, like... Fermat's lost here.
0: Yeah, this is probably how he felt. This is actually probably how he felt. Good <laughs> old
1: Andrew. His name is Andrew? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing this obscure maths, and there's maybe, like, five people in the world who even understand the problem you're trying to solve, and you're the only person who's, like, tinkering away at, down this particular line of it. And, you know... You're into it, and it's your life work, life's work. <clears throat> you have no prestige from doing this thing, right? You're getting absolutely no prestige from it. However, it is the thing you intrinsically care about doing. Yep. There is nothing you care about more than solving Fermat's Last Theorem. So yeah, well, you've got to find something new. But yeah, <laughs> there's nothing care- you, you care about more than that. It's like an intrinsic thing of like, okay. I want to do this thing. So like, you're still living your best life in a sense, right? You're living your best life. There's no, there's no, there's absolutely no prestige associated with being an obscure mathematician at a university no one's heard of yeah. right fine if if you're at like some like name brand university like oh my god this guy's like uh, a, yeah. you know whatever you can still be living your best life not caring about prestige and you, you're probably fine however pre pre-mate selection pre like friends yeah you probably to, need to care a little you've bit you've got to turn out the publications <laughs> right yeah yeah do you understand what i'm saying that's the point i'm making i'm saying like i i, I understand what you say i would happily do, i would you know if if i was doing the making making stupid websites equivalent of working on obscure maths at a university no one's heard of that would be fine
0: i don't but think you that, would to whom i think this is i think if you were actually in that position you wouldn't be fulfilled and happy
1: why you're doing the maths thing you care you care about solving this problem that's the thing <laughs> no sure i mean if you're one
0: of those people who have a single-minded de- determination to solve Maths last year and for example okay. and you, and you, and you haven't seen the fact that it's already been solved <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> if you are that sort of person, then fine. You might be the sort of person who is a, 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 essentially you're, you're opting out of the social game. You you've got your people that you're you, the, the sort of um, competing for social status game. Yeah. You're like literally opting out of that. You've got your boys that you hang out with on the reg playing board games. You've got the wife <laughs> uh, and maybe you've got a, kid, a, few, a few kids here and there. And let's say, you know, you're not, let's say you are immune to the the trappings you know, let's say you're immune to the, oh, I kind of want to remodel the kitchen. I kind of want to have a fancier car in the driveway. I kind yeah, of yeah, I want yeah. to make sure my kids get good grades so I can brag about my kids to my yeah. friends. Let's say you're immune to all of that, which is already such a small, 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 like, I don't know a single person immune to all of those things. Okay. Sure, if, you're, if you are that sort of person where literally all you care about is for last theorem, then that's fine. But I think you are, I think the point you're making is it relies on on your definition of that individual being the sort of person who actually doesn't no, care about the no, stuff.
1: No, no, no. You're continuing to miss the point. Look, this is why you're continuing to miss the point. I'm not saying that like if you want to solve Fermat's Last Theorem, you have to become a hermit. You have to like grow a neck. I'm not. I'm not saying you have to give up on the rest of your life. That's yeah. not what I'm saying at all. All I'm, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that let's say pre, you know, b- before you found a lifelong life problem... Oh
0: yeah, I fully agree with your point. You that should. You probably should that you premate. To, you should care more about this stuff you, than postmate. Yeah,
1: premate. <laughs> mate You need to care about like. The, the prestigious, yeah. the external prestige associated with what you do. Yeah. However, I don't think you are at risk of losing your mate or losing your mates. If, <laughs> 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 if, <laughs> Very good. If, if, if then you decide to li- 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 you do that, <laughs> if then you b- decide to become a neckbeard <laughs> again, you don't need to become a neckbeard to do these things, but, but yeah,
0: if, if that is purely the point that you're making, I would suggest Fine. Bearing in mind the divorce rate is 50%. <laughs> Bearing in mind that if you read, if you read the right sort of, the right sort of stuff on relationship psychology, um, even, w- even once you've got the mate in the bag, that is not an unconditional love. It's based on sure. you continuing to be a high value mate. Okay. Yeah. But the value yeah.
1: isn't, is no longer, okay. Maybe to an extent yeah. the, your sort of, your mate value is assessed in terms of like, how well are we keeping up with the Joneses? Maybe to an extent, but like it's surely mostly assessed on other things. And like I said, you're not completely giving up on life. You're still the same. You're still the same person you used to be. You're still like living your best life. It's just that you don't have any external prestige. Okay.
0: If your point is purely that pre-mate, you should care about social status more than you. Then you should post-mate. Then I would agree with that. I think that's probably true. My,
1: my point is stronger, which is that
0: if your point is post-mate, you don't need to care at all about social status. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my point is. Yeah, maybe that's uh, what, what What I would say is, yeah, that's very naive, and it's, it's not going to happen. Given that there is, you know from just like anecdotally and from all of the evidence there is such a strong human desire to sort of compete for status amongst our peers and you will find yourself drawn into that uh most likely whatever whatever you're doing and i don't think like even though i think that you're a, re- a relatively enlightened person i don't think you are so enlightened slash single-mindedly focused on Fermat's last theorem that you'd be happy just tinkering away like a neckbeard uh with your mate in the bag and your mates in the bag <laughs> Yeah, if if that were the case, I think you would find other ways to compete for status. And I think the competition for status is a thing that that drives human growth and that drives our, our happiness. Maybe that's just the uh, you know, capitalist part of me talking, but I don't think you would out, you would opt out of that race once, like, sort of postmate.
1: Hmm.
0: But it's all conjecture because you know <laughs> you ain't got a mate. <laughs> yeah, no <they're> mates. <laughs> all right, okay, fine. So we've done very. Uh, have, have, you, have you got any special insights of the week? I have a couple one hour 40
1: minutes it's a long one. bloody
0: hell mate i do apologize for everyone who's had to sit through this
1: i have a couple of insights actually so this is going to be a long a long one so no no, no. stick it to stick to one insight we can save the other one for later also for the first time this week we
0: are publicizing the podcast on my gram really with our little clips oh yeah so yeah, we'll yeah. see if that actually has a, a thingy to visitors
1: mate all right, I'm gonna be transparent here. I would like to reach this is this is a plea to all the listeners of the podcast. I would I would personally like to reach ten thousand Instagram followers so I can do the swipe up thing. I think the swipe up will add an interesting dynamic to my Instagram and my life <laughs> if I can share a link with large so, people. so I used to think this. <laughs> is it not really cool?
0: <clears throat> it's really cool being able to say swipe up. I use it maybe three times a month. And every time I do it, I sort of remember how I felt when I was on like 7,000. I was like, oh, if only, if only I get that 10K, then I'll, then I'll be able to swipe up. And then I'll like so
1: No, look, the thing is, here, okay, mm. here's why I think it's interesting. Most of the stuff I share is like, you know, on group chats and things, I will at least once a day share like a link to something in some group chat saying like, hey, boys, what do you think of this kind of thing? Yeah. And you'd like to be able to share that with On people. Twitter, it's like a permanent thing. And so like, if, if every single day, Tame is tweeting some link to something, it's pretty lame. No no one cares to that extent. Instagram stories are ephemeral. And so you can kind of do that.
0: Okay. Yeah, and right. I
1: think that would be interesting. Yeah. So please follow me on Instagram. My username is refrigerated. That's... It's, the spelling is non-trivial. Here's, a, here's what goes through people's mind when I ask them if they know how to spell refrigerated. They think, ha, it's a trick question. I know there's a D in it because fridge has a D in it. Well... It's a trick, trick question because there's no D in it. So it's R E F R I G E R A T E D.
0: <laughs> right, thank you. Um, your insight of the week. Or no, no, no. The insight's, the insight's coming. The insight's coming. Uh, How many followers <clears throat> have you got now on Instagram? I
1: don't know, like five k or something. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, wait. Yeah, I think the fact that so uh, actually in, in a lot of these clips you're doing most of the talking and the ones from, from from the last episode. So you might bag some followers. I think I think anchors has actually posted one like
1: posted one right now. Okay. This is a uh, a, ser- a series of tweets. We'll just like, we'll just touch on it and leave it as food for thought <clears throat> from uh, Venkatesh Rao, none other than. He says, he says, the older I get, the more it sinks in that 90% of effectiveness is just taking a thing seriously enough. That translates to just wanting the thing itself rather than adjacent things that may or may not happen as a side effect. Most things sort themselves out if you're serious. And he says that there are, <clears throat> there are lots of motivations for a thing. There is wanting the thing. There is wanting to be seen to want the thing. There is wanting to do the things needed to do the thing. There's wanting to be seen to do the things needed to do the thing. There's wanting to want the thing, wanting to want to do the thing and wanting to have done the thing. And so like oftentimes the things we're pursuing, you know, the things we're pursuing are not the thing. We actually don't want the thing. We want some like thing adjacent thing. We want to be seen as wanting the thing. We want something that results from the thing. We want like, we want to want the thing. And so he says that like, yeah, the, the secret to being effective is actually wanting, you know, pursuing the things that you want, <laughs> not the things that you want to want, not the things whose second order effects you want to want. Yeah. Pursuing the thing you want is like 90% of effectiveness because that way you'll take it seriously. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, Should we read out a review and call it a
0: day? All right. All right. <laughs> By the way, note to Angus, if you're watching this, uh, listening to this, um, when we read out reviews, that would be good clippable content for the gram.
1: All right. Here's a review. All right. This is entitled Yin and Yang. This podcast content is unlike anything I've ever consumed before, and I absolutely love it. Temur and Ali have a really unique style, which to me is a blend of two approaches to understanding and thinking about the world, as well as complementary personality traits, leaving what I find to be extremely exciting and engaging conversations. I particularly love the way the conversation is able to flow naturally through the fact that authenticity is kept at the forefront of everything that is said, which prevents me from getting distracted by my own perceptions of social signaling and allows me to really think about the topics being discussed myself. Also, Temur makes me laugh a lot, which is good because it lightens It lightens a naturally heavy tone of the kind of topics at hand. Ali, I love you too. Winky face. Thank you to Jimbo Baggy Pants from Great Britain (laughs) for that five-star review. Well done, Jimbo,
0: Jimbo Baggy Pants. Cool. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.